So good to see the Sprague's um, moving toward their mission. I don't want to throw Phil under the bus, but, but Will, I, I don't encourage you to speak Mandarin much in Japan. <laughs> There's a bit of a history there that, it, that might not work. I'm sure you're familiar with it, so I feel like I tried to resist, but I'm not good at that. Um, let's... Uh, Easter is upon us, and um, what a joy. You know, every Sunday is uh, Easter, and uh, we live in the life of the resurrection of Christ all year long, those who have come to him in repentance. But we do set aside um, this season to celebrate the substance, the glory, and the wonder of our faith. And as we'll see this week and next, also... um, it's surprise and the reality that God's work is unexpected even still. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you please to uh, instruct us in who you are, and what you have done, and how we should live. We pray in Jesus' name. I'll be reading from the left column of the bulletin, this same um, Insert or this same section will be in next week's, and we'll read from the right. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Then the blind and the lame came to him and in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Amen. Amen. I should just close in prayer after that amen over there.
<laughs> um, so if we were in Seattle, we, we would have canceled church this morning. <laughs> Seriously, the city absolutely shuts down with even the suggestion of snow. So I'm kind of surprised you're all here. But um, surprise is really what I want us to consider this morning. It's uh, uh, a helpful providence that we woke to, even in Boise, I think, an unexpected Palm Sunday sprinkling of snow. Because really, this whole passage is about Jesus rehearsing the fulfillment of a promise that they didn't expect because they misunderstood. Jesus is rehearsing the fulfillment of a promise that they expected, didn't expect, because they understood and didn't understand. Really, if you, wanna, if you would like to know what the preacher is saying this morning, uh, here it is in a phrase, we still have no idea what Jesus will do. This is my 35th Easter season in the church. I've been a Christian longer than that, but for reasons none of which are good and all of which took something from me and the church, I didn't really go to church for about seven years. But for 35 years, I have been doing this. Two years after I started doing this, I devoted my life to studying it and helping you do it. And we need to understand that we have no idea what Jesus is going to do, except only in the broadest strokes and the fullest redemptive arc of the narrative. We need to humble our expectations before him so that he can do his work in us and the world. So I'm going to take a, a brief look to um, sort of a front porch to the sermon, if you will, um, to just point out how Palm Sunday in the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, and Easter Sunday um, follow a similar structure. Um, because one of my passions, as I think you know by now, is the beauty of the art of biblical narrative. So I, I just want us to see that in this, in this first section, um, the king is announced, and then he's adored, and then he's opposed, and then he reigns. And as we'll see next week, the king is announced, and then he's adored, and then he's opposed, and then he reigns. The, the first one here, the prophet's um, promise from Zechariah. The second one, the angel proclaims in Matthew uh, in the resurrection. The crowd cheers, the women worship, the leaders confront, and then in Matthew, the, uh, later on, the leaders conspire and make up a story. The infants praise and then the disciples praise. This is the, the beauty and the power and the glory of the narrative and the work of the gospel. Train your heart and eyes to see. And then in the end, Jesus returns to Bethany to dwell. The word means outside, under the stars. Uh, and at the end of Matthew, he leaves again. To come back again. The, the implications of this relationship are um, that we, between these two, is that this rehearsal teaches us to temper our 
prescribed expectations of what Jesus will do. We, we know in the broadest arc, we, we know, you know, if you're exploring Christianity, um, there's a lot to it, but I can say it, what it fundamentally means is if you're in Christ, it'll be okay. How you get to okay, what happens between now and okay, well, we need to let go of our expectations. I was in my coffee shop talking to a young man studying philosophy. I just sat next to me and uh, Cole and I had a good conversation and he, I asked him if he had come to, he's at UW, I asked him if he'd come to conclusion about theism yet. And we explored, he wasn't quite sure about whether or not there, there is a God. Um, but he said that he, he did have uh, some questions. If there was a God, what was going on in the world and what was going on in his own life? And I, interacting with him, said, Cole, that's a, that's a question that's throughout Scripture and I have myself but, but I would encourage you simply to make sure that when you hold God accountable for what he does and doesn't do, you first understand what he's promised to do and not do. And that's really what Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand here. He's doing everything to fulfill the promises of the Hebrew Scriptures. And he's doing almost nothing that they expect of him at the same time. So let's take a look at the king, first of all, announced. He's announced in this, in this very intentional, um, orchestrated fulfillment of the promise that Joe had already told us about in Zechariah. This is what I want us to see. We, I want us to see how prescribed this event is because we need to know how intentionally Jesus takes on himself the fulfillment of this prophecy. He says, go ahead. He knows exactly what they're going to find in in, in the city. He says, go ahead. There will be a donkey and it's cold. And there's going to be a guy who wonders naturally, why are you taking my donkey? And you're going to say this to them. And this whole time, Jesus is fulfilling the promise of a prophecy that's hundreds of years old. And so what we see is that it is, as it were, that, that the Father and the Son have taken back the curtain and shown us the mechanics of the whole uh, orchestration of redemptive providence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are always doing these things. But here in this moment, Jesus prescribes and reveals to us that he's fulfilling this promise, this um, perfect setting for what he wants to declare. He is announcing his um, presence. And one of the words used here means he threw it together, but not throw it together like, like I'm going to throw together the barbecue when you come to my house sometime in, in Seattle. He's orchestrated it, it just perfectly through his perfect and absolute intent. And the question then for those who come is, do, are they going to recognize really what he's come to do? And the answer, as you know, if you're familiar with the rest of the story, is that, no, they don't really know what he's going to do. Um, they know what he's doing. They know that he's coming to fulfill this, this great uh, prophecy that their son of David, the, the king, would, would come riding on a donkey, which is a symbol and emblem of peace as opposed to a steed. And he was going to come riding in a donkey. But if you've ever heard the story before, you might remember that they really just want this son of David to come take care of business with Rome. 
So Jesus comes to fulfill this prophecy that goes on like this. um, And he shall speak peace to the nations. That's right next to the passage of the donkeys. So we're, we're starting to learn that Jesus is orchestrating this ancient fulfillment. They know they know what is happening. They don't understand what he is doing. It's not going to be that kind of triumph. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. His way to victory, his way to life, goes through defeat and goes through death. And we have to temper our expectations and humble ourselves before the interpretation of our life and whether it's good or bad or right or wrong or progressing or regressing. And and understand that Jesus comes just as he promises. Will we let him refine our expectations and our hopes? Um when people would come to me and I'm, as with difficulties in their relationships and in their marriages. Um, and, and by the way, this was also true when, when I went to somebody for help in my relationship, in my marriage. They want me to vindicate them and fix their spouse. This is the way we are. This is what put in the meta level, in the macro, this is what we want God to do, isn't it? We want God to vindicate us and fix the world. Well, that's what Israel wanted when they came in. They, 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 didn't, they recognized what he was doing, but they didn't understand it. And, and then without that firm understanding, without that assurance of, uh, of just exactly what um, Jesus was going to do, well, what happens next is genuine, but also empty, because the next thing they do is they adore him. What I find remarkable is how generous Jesus is in the reception of their praise. This is going to be relevant for us in a moment, But understand that Jesus knows full well what this week will bring to him. But but Jesus, this kind and generous and loving Savior and King, Jesus, we can be sure, celebrated this moment of their adoration. This is how much he loves us. They have taken their, their coats off. They've laid them down. This is what you would do for royalty. They've, they've cut palm branches, which are often even in ancient synagogue symbols of victory and triumph. And Jesus rides in. There's, there's no indication of cynicism or, or dismissal in any of this account of Jesus. In fact, he defends it when it's attacked. Yet at the same time, he knows that five days from now, it will all be taken back. So he's been announced, and the question is, do we recognize what he'll really do? Now he's being adored, and the question is, do we understand really what we're doing? 
what we're saying, the implications of coming here and singing these songs and saying these words and confessing those sins, what are the implications of those for our life? Well, whatever they are, I will not live up to them by the end of this day. And yet, Jesus has gladly received your songs of praise. He has welcomed them. He has sanctified them. He has celebrated them. Even though he knows that you and I will turn our back on them in a moment of anger or lust or greed or pettiness, you fill in the blank about what you're going to turn away from this praise this morning. Yet Jesus here is not begrudging you. He's not cynical. He's not dismissing. He's receiving. What have you come for? Do you understand what we're doing? What I don't know, we're not supposed to tell people this, I don't think, but, but like every time you come here, you recommit your life to Christ and you go through a whole series of covenantal promises. So, sorry, you just made a bunch of pledges to God. It's supposed to train you up, but, but the good news is God knows that we're dust, right? He knows we're feeble, and, but he knows... For those of you who do genuinely believe what you just sang and what you just said, he knows you in your heart that he gave you. He knows you, you believe that. In my very first uh, wedding I ever did, I did, it, I did a wedding for a friend. That was my, my high school friend. And I just became a minister and he asked me to do his wedding and I was like, sure, you know. And uh, it wasn't at a church. It was in Atlanta at some women's club thing, hoity-toity place, you know. So we drive down to Atlanta, and I'm pulling up there, and uh, I parked the car, and I look at Sandy, and I go, Sandy, they're not going to have a wedding coordinator. So let me, let me just give you a little pro tip here. Wedding coordinators are what make weddings work, okay? It's not the minister. So... My fear was, I'm not a detail guy, and the only wedding I ever really paid attention to, but not really, was my own. Okay? And I didn't know what to do. So this was my strategy. She goes, Sandy, ever building up my confidence, she goes, oh my goodness, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. You don't, it's like, I, I knew at that moment, she was not going to be the wedding coordinator. She, so I just decided, I did, I looked right, I said, I'm going to answer every question immediately, without hesitation, and with clear authority. And I just winged it the whole night. I don't know if I got everybody on the right side or coming in at the right order, but there was no doubt that I was in control of that rehearsal. And about halfway through the rehearsal, the uh, mother of the bride or during a little break in it, who did not like me. I mean, this, that's another story, but she really didn't like me, so I don't have time for that. Just That's not me being oversensitive. So she came up to me, she goes, so Pastor, Pastor Kelly? I said, yeah. She goes, 
how many weddings have you done? And I said, including this one? She said, yes. I said, one. <laughs> well, if you reverse that, that's what we're expecting Jesus to do. Like, we're expecting him to follow all of our orders once we understand what he's come to do. And when he doesn't follow our orders, our heart begins to oppose him, and that's what happens next. The king is opposed. Why is he opposed? Because they don't really understand who he is. And there's a hint to that in this passage. Who is this? Do you remember that reading? Who is this? Well, he's a prophet from Nazareth. See, they call him Hosanna, son of David. And they also call him prophet. They kind of demote him a little bit. Also, if, if you're familiar, if you're not, that's okay. I didn't read any of the Bible till. well, I didn't read most of the Bible till I was actually in seminary. But the, um, at the beginning of this book, we're told that Jesus was from Nazareth. And nothing good in another place, we're told, comes from Nazareth. So they're saying he's the prophet from Nazareth. They've, they've already demoted him. And that's the, going to be the beginning of their opposition to his reign. So, what does he do when he gets to Jerusalem? What does he do after this? He, what he doesn't do is uh, work on his uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild brand. What I want us to see um, for our whole Christian life is there is a, a confrontational element to Christ that's exercised here and actually happens throughout the Gospels if you look closely. Remember, he spit in a guy's face to heal him. Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple. And this is where the, the rubber meets the road for the people in Jerusalem and the people in Boise. Jesus comes as king and then he acts like king. And will we let him act like king? Will his approval rating drop down into the 30s after he exercises his dominion because what we must remember is that the kingship of Jesus is not a spiritual metaphor. It is an ultimate reality. He does whatever he wants. In Jerusalem, in Boise, what's your address? Think of your address right now. He does whatever he wants there. Think of where you work. He does whatever he wants there. Think about what you feel. He will cleanse that too. Think about what you think. He wants to have dominion over that too. So he comes and he um, we don't have time to unpack it. There's so much here, but I'm trying to focus on this reality that we're celebrating the coming of the king. And when the king comes, the king gets what he wants. But this outer court, which was open for the Gentiles, was supposed to be a welcoming place 
where the people of the nations that he was bringing peace to, they could come and see from afar and smell the offerings and hear the singing and learn something of the grace of Yahweh, the great God of Israel. And it was filled with believers of their day leveraging their advantage in the temple. And Jesus did not like that. He becomes violent. He doesn't only overturn tables. He throws people out of their seats. Now, Now think about Jesus running through the temple, pushing people over. That's what he did. And man, that that gives you a sturdy view of Jesus. And man, you got a list. I got a list of some people I want Jesus to push over. You have that list too, right? A couple of you were on that list of mine. No, that's not true. That's, That's not true. But... Are you going to let him push you over, turn your table over, knock you out of your seat? Or are you going to oppose him? Are you going to say, by what authority, by what authority do you keep me in this unhappy job? By what authority, by what authority do I suffer this poor health? Jesus, by what authority have you chosen not to heal my relationship with my child. By what authority? He's the king. And what we must understand is that he comes in benevolence. But once he comes in benevolence, he gets to decide what benevolence looks like in this church, in this city, and in your and my lives. You know, the the best ministry idea locally, congregationally that I ever had. I had it in 2006. It's a teaser because I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it was substantial and the whole church rallied behind it and raised a million dollars to do it. Not not to build a building, just a million dollars to do this. And um, I still think Point for point, it was the best idea I ever had in ministry. And it almost destroyed me. It almost, well, it did for a year make me try to figure out what I could do other than ministry. But as I think I've mentioned, I should have thought of that before I was in my 40s and realized I had no marketable skills outside of the church. So here I am. We, and I, I'm losing that lesson. That lesson was, hey, Mike, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want, even with your best ideas. I forget that all the time. And I find my ways to oppose him. And what foolishness is there in that? Because... Once, once he comes and we, um, he announces himself, 
but we don't understand who he is. And then we adore him, but we still don't understand what he's going to do or even what we're doing. Um, then, then we either secretly or openly begin to oppose him. Um, once he purges through all that, once he receives all that, then you start to see the measure of his kindness, the intention of his benevolence, the love that brought him so far to endure so much. Because once the temple's clear, what does he do? Well, then all these blind and lame come to him. Then he starts to build his kingdom. Then he starts to reign. Then he starts to do what he will do. Once he takes over All Saints Church, once he announces that he's come, once you adore him, and then once he purges us all, well, then he'll just make room for your brokenness and my brokenness, Meridian's brokenness, Treasure Valley's brokenness. If we'll just let him come and clear out our place, our hearts. You know, in, in this kingdom, where this king comes, only the blind see. Only the leper is embraced. Only the lame walk. Only the foolish are wise. Only the poor are rich. Only the last get to be first. That's the way this place is supposed to work. And that's why Jesus came to take it over. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come into us now, into this place here, into my heart, into the hearts of the children, the babes even, the... the um, gray-headed among us, uh, the youthful, those who are in the, in the sturdiest part of their life, that we would receive the announcement of your coming, that we would adore you with the fullest understanding that we can have, that we would never oppose your work in our hearts, in our minds, in our homes, in our workplace, most surely not in this church or in this city that we would let you have your way with us. Because we know when you do that, you'll bring your kind, gracious healing. We ask this in your good name. Amen.